As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You're listening to the Wild 7 Podcast Network. Listen different. Being a mom isn't easy. And nowadays, who has time to cook? But I don't have to worry about my family ever going hungry. All thanks to Mr. Snack Pack. There's snacks and packs with nutritional facts. But I'd like to know who this Mr. Snack Pack is. So ubiquitous and yet so mysterious. And a much bigger help than that deadbeat husband of mine. I'm not gonna lie. If I could meet this Mr. Snack Pack in person, I'd like to unpack his snack. Uh, Margaret, that's not in the script. I mean, with a name like Mr. Snack Pack, he must be so talented. Uh, Margaret, stick to the script, please. Seriously, where does Mr. Snack Pack live? Because I would walk off set right now, go over to his house, knock on his front door, and when he opens it, I would jump on his face. Margaret, please! This is a family commercial! Oh, oh, and? And? How does a family start in the first place? Someone meets somebody, and they fuck! Uh, uh, Alright, you know, I I actually uh, admire your outspoken honesty, Margaret. And, uh, well, while we're all being honest here today, I'd like to say that I... You look really good in that blouse. Okay, Hank, come on, let's keep it professional. Mr. Snack Pack. Who is he? In the words of Alex Rogers. Episode 23, Riffin' on Reffin'.
All right, people, step on up, step on up. Oh, oh, I'm afraid that's it. We've reached maximum capacity. Oh, but you promised special listener, we found you a golden ticket. Give him the golden ticket. Because that will get you into the show. Welcome back, my fine freaky friends. This is Alex Rogers recording and reporting from a timeless zone in which your listening is the now. And that's the main story, and we are always sticking to it. In fact, there's nothing to do but stick to the moment, because the now is all there is. And even though I say that at the top of every episode, I still barely understand that one myself. Well, we're back in good old DTLA. And I, I do love coming out here now. And of course, you know, I was always taking the train out here, which I I'm, I still love the train. Uh, I'm a big proponent of public transportation if you have the time to do it. Um, or indeed, if you simply only have the means to do that. Um, I'm a big fan of trains. I love them. Uh, but of course, now that I've got the wheels working again, and now that I'm slightly over this hump of paranoia and feelings of deep responsibility for non-existent dead people on the road, referred to a few episodes ago for relevance and context, I took myself uh, on a little drive over here today, and you know, pretty, pretty nice to once again get back into the main form of traveling here in Los Angeles. Uh, but you know, <clears throat> when you're traveling on the road, you have the choice between some music or some news, and you know, what the heck, I, I've, I've also established a couple episodes that my head has been perpetually in the sand, so I have no idea what's happening. Well, best that I don't, because I turn on the radio, and of course, what do I hear about but some mass shooting that happened last night. And you know, as I say this, I was thinking maybe I should mention the town in which it took place. Maybe I should even give you the date right now of when that happened. But I realize, what's the point? And yeah, this is a big cynical thought coming up here. So brace yourselves. What's the fucking point? You know, guys, I was in ninth grade, freshman year of high school. On 420, before 420 would mean anything to me because I was such a good kid, I never tried drugs once until I was 21. I don't know how I managed that, but, you know, wonder virgin extreme right here. Uh, <laughs> I, um, I remember, though, how Columbine in 1999, uh, when I was in ninth grade, that was just, uh, that was huge. It was, it was the story. It seemed incomprehensible. What? A school shooting? Now, since then, everything has become all about shootings, and it's not even about school shootings anymore. Those still happen, but now we have farmer's market shootings and 
public square shootings and, uh, you know, uh, train station shootings, bus terminal shootings, on the bus shooting, in the train shooting. It's becoming exhausting. And everyone's always saying, don't get numb to this. This is not normal. Well, it is becoming normal. And you know what? In U.S. America, shooting people, I hate to say it, but that's as red, white, and blue as it gets around here. I'm a gunslinger. I have a right to my gun, and I get to shoot people. And apologies for that slight southern sound at the beginning there. It's very easy to put on the southern voice with, I got my guns, and I ain't going to let you take them away from me. It's very easy to go there. There are lots of people in this country who sound like that and do things like that. That is true. But you know what? There's also California shooters. There's the great Northwest shooters. There are East Coast shooters. This is an American problem. And I am not going to spend this episode talking about all the statistics and this, that, and the other thing. But I am getting fucking sick of it. To, to where I almost just throw my hands in the air every time I hear these stories and I just get angry at this country. I'm not, I'm not even mad. I, of course I'm mad at the shooters. I hate that they do this shit. But I'm mad at, once again, these useless parents. What I mean by that is the government. But, you know, let's, let's liken this whole situation to a family. Let's say that you got one sibling who is causing mayhem. That's your shooter. The other kids, those are the survivors and your average civilian, go up to the parents. Hey, big governmental mom and dad, can you please stop these out-of-control kids who keep shooting us? And what does mom and dad keep doing here? Well, that would be impossible because if we did that, there'd actually be change and we can't make that happen because cha-ching, cha-ching, U.S. dollar does not stop. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm getting so fucking sick of it. And, and, you know, I was just about to bring up an argument that, unfortunately, once you bring it up, you then realize where you are and the argument is moot. But I'll still bring it up. You got Australia, or no, excuse me. Well, actually, no, yeah, Australia, I believe, had a massive shooting in the 90s in Sydney. And then they said, okay, no more automatic or semi-automatic weapons, like just done. We're, we're, we're outlawing that. And since then, they haven't had a mass shooting. Not too long ago, New Zealand, they're, they're um, I don't know if it's a president or a prime minister, but their lady, and I did say lady, in charge, basically said, right, no more guns. And I'm sorry if that's a terrible New Zealand accent, but we're moving on. No more guns. Let's see, I, oh, how, did I, how did I learn? Okay. All I know about New Zealand accent is from uh, the Lord of the Rings special features. We worked on this monster for a winter sit, and the cave troll came out and looked as real as ever. Um, and on top of that, no more guns. We're outlawing them. So they outlawed them, and now uh, they ain't got no problems either. And a lot of countries come up with these solutions about gun control, about fair distribution of wealth, about, uh, you know, paying, you buy, okay, sorry, I'm I'm tripping all over my words here, but the whole idea that you even uh, get something out of your taxes, like health care, hey, 
all of these social services that you would think the freest nation in the world, we're U.S. America, we're the most free people ever, except nothing's free, and you're not even free of the possible tyranny of being shot. So here I am saying what a lot of dreamers in this country say, which is, well, in Denmark, they figured out health care. Well, in New Zealand, they figured out gun violence. Here's the problem. Because I have traveled the world. I've been to some of these places. I, I, for example, before, well, we still haven't legalized marijuana nationally. Plenty of states have done it, but nationally, federally? Dude, on a federal level, I could have at any point been snatched from, those dispenser, from that dispensary that I was working in, and I would have just been, uh, you know, probably made an example of. I could have easily been thrown into prison on a federal level. But like, then you go to Holland and they have decriminalized marijuana to the point where it's not even on paper legal. You can just buy and sell it. It's legal to buy it. It's legal to sell it and dig this. The cops in Amsterdam, they can't, they can't, uh, oh, I'm fucking up the Pulp Fiction dialogue, but you know what I'm trying to get at. The point is, uh, I even realized, well, Holland's the size of a nickel compared to the United States of America. Same with New Zealand. Same with Denmark. These countries are thumbnail size compared to this massive beast that U.S. America is. And the problem is, is we have this endless telephone game going on here. <laughs> and, and you remember telephone? Uh, kids my age and older? <laughs> uh, hey, young kids. Uh, there used to be a game called Telephone. I doubt you play it nowadays. You probably play a game called Smartphone, which just deals with one round where you show someone a screen and that other kid goes, oh, I'm not good enough. And then the game's over. But when I was a kid, we used to play a game called Telephone where you all sit in a circle and you whisper something in your neighbor's ear and then they pass it around the circle and where you said, I like lollipops, it suddenly comes back to you as, I fuck lemon drops or whatever the... <laughs> Actually, I don't know if we were quite saying that back then, but, you know, hey, we probably were because we're filthy little animals to start with. The point is, the message gets muddled, and that's the whole game and tragedy of telephone. So the problem with our nation is, by the time I say, hey, how about no more gun violence and enough money to where we can afford daily living? By the time that goes around the national circle and comes back to me, enough people have honestly thought that I said, how about communism and we just get a bunch of magic things for not working and I'm an evil Satan worshiper? <laughs> for real, though, that's the problem with this nation is every good idea goes punished. You know how the no good deed goes unpunished? Well, in U.S. America, no good idea goes unpunished either. Oh, boy. Well... I didn't come here to talk only about that today, but I had to get it out of the way. I'm just tired of living in this country that says every day, we're the greatest, we're the greatest, don't mind all the dead people. We're the greatest, we're the greatest, don't mind all the sick people. We're the greatest, we're the greatest, don't mind all the addicted people. Well, who knows, maybe one day we'll finally figure out this mess. It's not going to be me, folks. I'm just a professional complainer who hopefully gets you to think a little and giggle a little. That's all. So let me continue on what I can do right now. 
change. Instead of implementing societal change, I can hopefully just open up a couple old doorways of the mind and, uh, and get us thinking about a couple fun things today. So transitioning to an equally elusive and yet not nearly as consequential of situations, the good old world of cinema. And I want to talk about a director who has been on my mind. You know, a while back I spent actually two episodes talking about David Lynch. And today I want to talk about, I'd say, a director who's emerged certainly in my awareness in the last 10, 15 years. And I'm quite impressed with his body of work. And it's very unusual and yet so welcomed what he's doing right now. And that director is Nicholas Winding Refn. Now, if anyone here is going, huh? Chances are you caught Drive, either recently or about 10 years ago when it came out. That was definitely his big movie, which hit a lot of radars of people who normally don't, in, don't go in for his kind of films. But you know what's amazing about Nicholas Winding Refn? He's a Danish director. Most of his films are in English. And he's really good at tapping into the strangeness, the dreamlike, and also the silences. And, you know, there's definitely a few Lynchian things to his uh, approach, but of course it's a little bit different. I'd say if you found the raw fruit of 80s neon electronic score, people who appear to be on cocaine or acid or a mixture of the two, Miami Vice if it were in slow motion, that's Nicholas Winding Refn. He is definitely the king of neon, I'd say. He even has a film called The Neon Demon, for crying out loud. But the, the movie that I really want to talk about today is a movie that he made right after Drive, which was this big hit. Drive stars Ryan Gosling. It came out in 2011. It's about a stunt driver who... Uh, actually, <laughs> good old Mr. Nas Red, he had a hilarious breakdown of that movie. He said, it's about a psychopath who wants to be this one kid's dad. <laughs> Which is not incorrect in breaking it down. But yeah, he's a troubled but well-meaning uh, stunt driver who falls in love with this lady. And this lady is a sort of single mom. It'll make more sense when you watch the movie. And she has a little boy and he wants to protect them both because uh, they unwittingly have been wrapped up in some mob danger. And what could be sort of a, a standard um, protection revenge plot, action, fast-paced drive thriller, it actually is a, a much more slowed down, surreal different approach than what you would normally do to the drive heist action, escape the mob, kill the mob before they kill you type of genre. Now, this was a big hit. It, it made a lot of people know about this guy in the first place. 
and uh, it certainly boosted Ryan Gosling's appearance and career. And they were the bells of the ball that year. I think they were, you know, that we always love. I I love when you see a winning director and actor team, because these guys the next year, or I, I should say maybe two years after the fact, released the next movie that they did together, and where Drive was just eaten up and savored by the public. The next movie titled. Only God Forgives, was eaten up, spat out, puked out, and endlessly coughed up in phlegmy, disgusted hacks by the audience. (laughs) And you know something? I love this movie. I want to talk a little bit today about Nicholas Winding Refn's work in general, but I really want to focus upon this film, Only God Forgives. Now, before I get into this, I want to bring up a moment that happens in a totally unrelated movie by a totally different director, but it's a moment that I think bespeaks a real phenomenon that we don't think about a lot as living, breathing, chewing drinking, fucking, sleeping, interesting, boring creatures. There's a part in the movie 12 Monkeys by Terry Gilliam, which I I, I love. It's one of my favorite sci-fi films. And it's one of the more unusual time travel sci-fi films. And it plays a lot, like all these things do, with personal perception And there's a moment where the main character is played by Bruce Willis and Madeline Stowe go into a movie theater and they catch the film Vertigo by Alfred Hitchcock. So now you have a movie watching a movie. The supposedly real-life situation in a fictional movie called 12 Monkeys watching a fictional situation called Vertigo. And Bruce Willis has a line as, he, as they're watching it, and I don't remember how it goes exactly, but he essentially says, you can watch the same movie throughout your life, and every time you watch it again, it has never changed, but you have. Just think about that for a moment. Every movie you have seen and then rewatched, you are a different person each time. The movie ain't doing anything different, unless it's, you know, one of these poor situations like the good old original Star Wars series, which did change thanks to its own God going, I want to make sure you put in outdated 90s computer effects so that this otherwise brilliant look of 70s and 80s is dissonantly marred by outdated 90s technology. All right, Alex, we've already heard enough from other episodes, including on the Wild 7 podcast, how you feel about Star Wars. All right, I know, I know, but I'm not done yet, and I will get into it again, just not this episode. But the point is, if you saw Vertigo when you were 10, and then you saw it again when you were 20, and then you saw it again when you were 30 probably you had a different experience each time. And I love this because I can't tell you how many movies I saw when I was younger 
that either I thought was boring, didn't hit the mark, went over my head, too much this, too little of that. And then years go by, curiosity reshuffles itself, and I go, let me check this out again. Well, that's how I felt about Only God Forgives, which currently is my favorite movie. Now, again, before I get into that, let me take you back just a little inchy-winchy teeny bit before this, which is I got into Nicholas Winding Refn almost a full year before Drive would come out. And I got into his work through his two previous films, which are Bronson and Valhalla Rising. Now, these are two very different in feel movies, but you can tell they're made by the same director. And here's something I love about Refn. The guy knows how to start a movie with the proper big titles. I, I, I love a good movie title with a great music cue where you know that this is the title to the movie. You know, Tarantino does this very well. Paul Thomas Anderson does this very well. When the title comes up, you fucking know you're looking at it. You're like, oh, okay, bam, there it is. I hate when there's this like little nothing cross-dissolve in the corner of the screen, little like title of the movie. In, in fact, everything about this movie is this. Don't be interesting to hear. No. Nothing interesting. Nothing interesting. Just buy the book. Buy the book. But just title, you know, the, 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 the directed by. There's nothing interesting. Then have the first character say this, and then just make sure everything in the movie is then he does this, then she does this, and then she does that, and he does that, and then just, you know, fade to black, and then it's over. What? What? I made a movie. Nah. Nah, man. You got to come in with that title. And what's great about Bronson, Valhalla Rising, Drive, Only God Forgives, The Neon Demon, these are all refin titles right here. And those titles themselves pop on the screen. Bronson is, imagine, hmm, let's see, it's like if Midnight Express and Clockwork Orange made a comedy together. Because <laughs> it's following a real-life prisoner. I don't know if he's still alive or not, but he became a, um, a professional fighter, both in between and during his prison experiences. And uh, he chose the name Charles Bronson, like the actor, to get, you know, a little more recognition, to already give the audience, like, a sense of, ooh, an action hero. Tom Hardy plays the role. It was my first time being aware of Tom Hardy, and it's a fine performance. Valhalla Rising, his next movie after that, that was my first refin experience. And that was just a good old little, it, it was streaming on Netflix one day. I saw the little thumbnail for it. It looked like a sword and sorcery pick. Y'all know how I feel about that. And I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll give it a, a try. I remember even thinking to myself, okay, the movie's not that long. It looks like it's barely 90 minutes, which, by the way, that's something Refn does very well. He makes movies that have the scope and the speed of a Kubrick film, meaning very big imagery and moving at a glacial pace. And yet, 
he manages to make it all run usually in about 90 minutes, which I think is the most time-respecting runtime of any movie you're trying to do. And uh, Valhalla Rising is, in his own words, I believe, a Viking film on acid. And it's simply about a group of Vikings who are going to make their way to the Holy Land. They really think that they are setting sail for Jerusalem. When, in fact, they arrive in what definitely is quite apparent to be, to us as modern-day users, users, uh, an audience, North America. Because that is true. The Vikings, way before that crook, criminal, barbarian, savage, and yes, I mean that for the, I'm using the word savage for the fucking colonizer, not the good people he colonized, Christopher Columbus. Way before that hack wannabe bitch Columbus, this guy, uh, these guys, good old Vikings, they made their mark on North America. So it's that historic model, but super tripped out. Um, really strange, really weird. And sure enough, it almost has elements that feel like El Topo. Um, meaning you're taking kind of like a standard, like adventure, like, like a hero who, who either, whether he has a sword or a gun, it almost doesn't matter the point. And of course this being Valhalla rising, they, they have, you know, swords and axes. This is a medieval, uh, trip of a film, but it's very spiritual in its own way. And the main guy has one eye and doesn't speak literally has not one line so you can imagine how much silence is in this pick as well. Now, I fell in love with Valhalla Rising and Bronson. And I loved these movies. And when Drive came out, I just, I liked Drive, but everyone else loved it. Kind of like how I loved Bronson and Valhalla Rising. And then, of course, what we have here in this situation is the typical... I was here first, and now you Johnny-come-latelys think that Drive is the coolest thing, but you didn't do your homework. You're just, you're just jumping onto some fucking thing. And I did my usual despair, which I've talked about before, which is I needlessly hate groups of people who have every right to enjoy what they saw. But in my mind, they're showing up a little late to the game, and they don't really understand who Refn is, because having watched most of his movies, I can tell you that, in my opinion, Drive is his most mainstream, and you almost feel like he's um, pulling his punches just a little bit so that everyone can play. So, the next movie, Only God Forgives, I fucking love because it seems to have very little regard or consideration for all of the fanboys and girls for Drive. (laughs) I love when a director does not do what you expect him to do on the next movie. I think everyone, especially because the next movie has Ryan Gosling, everyone's expecting Drive Part 2. Uh-uh. Let's put it this way. I even heard him in the commentary on Only God Forgives. He said, in Drive, I wanted to give you really good cocaine. In Only God Forgives, I want to give you really good acid. Now, it's true. He may have done acid before with Valhalla Rising. 
Uh, but hey, let's do it again. And quick aside, folks, I'll always talk about what drugs I have or have not tried. Me, never tried cocaine, don't intend to, and friends who have tried it have basically told me, don't do it, it's too expensive, and all it does is make you want to keep doing it. And, you know, intellectually, that just sounds like hell. Why would I do something, only want to do it, to then want to do it, to then want to do it, to then want to do it? Sounds like a trap to me. Acid, though, I have tried that a few times. I, I intend to try it seasonally throughout my life because it's wonderful. And um, it's definitely the pace and the feel that I prefer. So it's almost no wonder that I prefer Only God Forgives over Drive. And isn't it kind of interesting that movies with a cocaine pace tend to grab groups of people? But movies with an acid pace, they tend to grab the individual. And several episodes ago, I talked about this with y'all, which is you have some things that really feel, they, they work almost better if you watch it by yourself. And folks, Only God Forgives is, if you're going to watch it with a group, you need to be with a group of fucking like monks who know how to handle unconventional cinema. Only God Forgives will die in front of you in the first five minutes after the first, I don't get it, in your room. If there's one person, or even you, by yourself, the minute you go, I don't get it, then forget it. Then turn it off, eject. This film is not designed to be normal. In short, Only God Forgives takes place in Bangkok in the neon nighttime sprawl of Bangkok, Thailand. The beginning credits and the ending credits, they're in Thai. They're not even in English. Half the movie's in Thai. The other half is in English. But because this is Nicholas Winding Refn, lots of silences, lots of pauses. You know, uh, some of his characters will take nice long pauses before saying something. Now, again... If you have cocaine mind, you're going to be going, hurry up, hurry up, say something, say something, say something. I need everything. I, I, I was brought up by U.S. America. You know, the people who shoot everyone, we do nothing about it. You know, where food has sugar in it, no matter how what you try to do to cut down, there's always some drug in it. America, America. Dude, dude you, America makes uh, Hannibal Lecter look less uh, 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 hungry when he goes fava beans and a candy. That's fuck America is with with guns and drugs. All right, well, let me get back on point here, which is, yeah, guess what? You're put into some weirdness. You're not feeling safe and only God forgives. Um, only God forgives deals with all the Western characters in it. That being Ryan Gosling and any other white person you see. This is something that apparently is quite true about a lot of Westerners who live in Bangkok. They live there because they can't go back. They're expats. Something happened. Some criminal or sordid past will not allow these people to ever go back to their uh, places of, of white normality, <laughs> be it Europe or U.S. America. They now have to live in Thailand. And the movie deals with a criminal organization posing as a martial arts school. And what's funny, too, is the movie has the feel like it's going to be a fighter movie. And sure enough, that is, it's kind of, okay, take a police procedural movie, then take, like, um, a blood sport, or even Karate Kid, or um, 
or even Enter the Dragon, you know, something that feels like, okay, there's going to be a fucking tournament, one-on-one fight coming up in this movie. But again, because it's Refn, we're not doing your standard telling of a police procedural, of a fighting movie. Um, there's no training montages. There's no, you know, I'll get you next round. In fact, it, it's, it's an unusual story. Ryan Gosling, you know, it's funny, is in the previous movie, Drive, he is definitely like the man in that movie. You can tell that he is the force of nature that other characters are going to have to reckon with. He is definitely your hero. You kind of get behind him. You feel somewhat safe around him, even though he is violent and unpredictable in Drive. You nevertheless feel like he's in charge. What's unusual about Only God Forgives is that Ryan Gosling in this movie is, even though he's first billing, and I'd say definitely your main character, he is not... He's all kinds of tortured. He's fucked up. And you know what he's fucked up from? And it's pretty obvious once you meet her, played brilliantly by Kristen Scott Thomas, or KST, as the cool kids might call her. She is a Medusa mother type, almost uh, like Alexander the Great's mother. Um, I'm trying to think of who who's like the the... Who's like your stock character in mythology who is the mother smother, but it's worse than that. We're talking about the incest mother, the mother who has claimed her son's sexuality before they can really know what kinds of men they are. It's very evident that Ryan Gosling is coming from a sexually inappropriate background and the way he interacts with particularly this one woman who is a Thai sex worker, the very rituals they do are almost a kind of sad kinky. He doesn't really know how to express himself as a man. And it's also, and it is revealed later on, and and I won't spoil it too much, but he, he had to, like a lot of Westerners, run away from America. And now due to his brother dying in the beginning of the movie and his brother being fucked up as well because these two are coming from this sexually inappropriate background, his brother has now murdered a 16-year-old prostitute. And uh, and then, of course, this guy, this brother character, gets justice dealt upon him. So now that he's dead, it's becoming now these family feuds. So Gosling's mother shows up in town, says, you now need to find his killer, So Gosling reluctantly goes on a revenge quest, but what he discovers is actually the main character of the movie. Here's the interesting thing is that Gosling is technically your main character, but the real main character, the force of nature, like, okay, in Valhalla Rising, you have one eye, that guy I was describing earlier. He is all action. He is the sword of, he's like the axe of justice. In Drive, Gosling plays that elemental force of justice. But in God, in a God, only God forgives. There's this guy. Oh, and I, I'm going to mess up his name. Uh, I think his, uh, he's this wonderful Thai actor. I, I think the first name is Vitaya, and the last name is like I'm going to mess up, like Parsasanamma. Anyway, don't fuck it up, Alex. Just say Vitaya. The point is, this guy is God, straight up. 
he he it's pretty well eluded in the film that he is beyond the police department. He 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 sort of appears like a lieutenant, but he's the god character. And he is dealing out justice in the form of usually being merciful to those who have fucked up, but nevertheless chopping off their arms like at the at like the forearm level down so like your your hand is taken away from you he's big on that as a form of like i will take a limb of yours but then you will live on and therefore you will be forgiven so he's really he's that intense old testament god but what's crazy too is this is taking place in thailand and in the Far East, they don't have the same ideologies as we have inherited in the West. Meaning, and I could be wrong about this, but I don't think Asia has that all-consuming, solitary, one-dude God who will tempt Abraham to kill his firstborn and... Just do that to show me that you're loyal to my name. That guy, that type of God, I don't believe exists. But how interesting that in the film that takes place that, that is about the Westerners' inner struggle in the neon-dappled nightmare of an almost Blade Runner-esque Thailand, you've got this guy who is the sword of justice. He has this blade. It's almost like a kitana meets a machete. And he's slicing up fools left and right. He's a scary fucking dude. And yet, he also is a loving father. You can tell he has a sense of fair play. But he's brutal. He is the arm and sword of justice. Really good Cliff Martinez score for everyone who played the Drive soundtrack on repeat. I recommend you also get into Only God Forgives soundtrack because it's still got that electronic sprawl. It's still got those kind of spacey moments of finding itself in the music. I, I don't know what it is, guys, because I can tell you right now, Only God Forgives is not... I, I, as much as I'm loving it right now, I can say with full honesty, it is structurally strange there's even a few editing moments that I don't even fully agree with. It is not going to treat... P if you have seriously gone through your film life going A plus B plus C equals the whole alphabet, that's my formula for a movie, well, then you ain't going to make it through this one. But you know, folks, when you come here, when you're tuning in, when you're getting down in the words, uh, you know, it, it, there's a different feel that we go for here. Sometimes I'll talk about popular movies that we can all get into, but I'm here to challenge y'all. Do a movie that was hated by the critics. Can you imagine the, the last time you went to Cannes, your film is absolutely applauded. Everyone goes, oh, you're, you're the greatest. You're amazing. And then the next one you bring, they go, what the fuck is this shit? Come on, don't you want to watch that movie more? It's, it's easy to watch the movie that's praised by everyone, but do the movie that was hated and then dare yourself to watch it with your eyes. And you know what, folks? When I first saw this movie, I saw it about the time it came out, 2013. It didn't get much fanfare. You could catch Drive in any movie theater because it got big exposure. The next movie, <laughs> they tried to bury it the minute it came out. So most of us had to download it, legally or illegally. 
And, you know, I saw it on a laptop and it just wasn't quite the right way to do it. And even at the time, I remember thinking, eh, not for me. It's okay. But um, nah, I think I liked Valhalla Rising. I liked Bronson. Drive was too eaten up by all the mainstream people. I guess I'm kind of done with Refn. Well, remember how I talked about in the beginning? Sometimes when you watch Vertigo throughout your life, even though it has not changed, you have changed. And so it's a new experience every time. Well, folks, I'm a different man. We're in 2021 right now. Last time I saw this movie was 2013, 2014. I'm a different man now. My mind has changed. And when I am now watching Only God Forgives, I see it for the true masterpiece that Refn intended it to be. So as you can see, nothing is in control. There's nothing we can do. Sometimes the most control we can have is to sit down and watch a fabricated reality called a movie. But folks, I'm inviting you and challenging you to get into some cinema that is not moving at the pace of every other formula you have observed and absorbed. Fair warning, Only God Forgives is extremely brutal. The violence is cringy. There is a torture scene that you may not do too well in. Uh, even the big fight scene, because again, this is a, it has a great Muay Thai one-on-one fight scene. Even that, the punches are not fun to look at. It's not like a fun action movie. Every hit, every cut, ooh, it's, it's, oh, it's brutal. So why get into it? Well, because it's also poetic. And the whole movie is guh, 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 gorgeous to look at. Larry Smith, the DP for Refn's movies, he is the neon master, dude. And they used so many real-life locations in Bangkok that they barely had to build any sets. So just go into a movie that is red and purple and pink and yellow. All these amazing colors. There's, there are whole scenes that are just illuminated in red and they are scary and delicious and forbidden and wonderful. And maybe take a moment to realize, hey... You're not the same person you were seven years ago. You know, if you've already seen Only God Forgives and you thought it was kind of meh, watch it again. If you've never seen it and you watch it now and you go, what the fuck, Alex, why did you recommend that to me? Now I'm going to be full of nightmares and bad feelings for a while. Well, then maybe let some years go by and check it out again later. And if you don't even want to deal with any ref and movies, hey, how about this? Think about a movie you saw about a decade ago, and you kind of wanted to like it, but you remember at the time going, I guess it's not for me. Hey, you might be different now. Don't rest on the one opinion you had when you were 18. There's a couple films that are worth a rewatch. And if it's starting to pull on the strings of your curiosity, I'd say go for it and have a pleasant surprise when you realize you are always a brand new creature. And there you have it, amiguitos y amiguitas. That's that, until we meet each other anon. So in the mean in between, thank you for your time. Thank you for your rhyme.
In the Words of Alex Rogers is a podcast orbiting the mothership of Wild 7 Studios. Music by Inca Rose. Keep your ears open for storyscapes, simpin' after dark, and other audio goodies from Wild 7. And keep your eyes open for its first feature-length film, Debbie and the Devil.